Thank you, Pastor, for reading that word. And thank you, Todd and Heidi, for that ministry in music. And certainly we do want to be like the Lord Jesus Christ. And in particular this morning, we want to be like him in overcoming temptation. The scripture states that Jesus was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. And this morning, we are going to consider the third and final temptation that is before us in this passage. It certainly is not the final temptation that Jesus experienced in his life, but it is rather the final temptation, as I say, in this particular passage in the, on this particular occasion. The temptation that we are going to look at today was to believe that Satan could and would provide for Jesus in a way that was better than what God the Father had in store for him. That is always a temptation that uh, Satan presents to us, whether it involves work, power, money, success, or some other personal interest. But to think that somehow we would be better off by not serving God, but by serving someone or something else. So, as we look at this temptation this morning, we follow the same outline that we've been using in looking at this passage. We start by looking at the setting of the temptation, then the words of uh, the evil one, and then the words of Jesus. And today, then we also look at the ultimate and final outcome. So, the setting of the temptation is given to us in Matthew chapter 4, verse 8. It says, again... The devil took him, that is Jesus, to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. So Jesus is led by by the evil one to a high mountain. And there he shows them, probably in some kind of vision, the glories of this world. The glories of this world. Satan shows Jesus the kingdoms in all their glory. And all their glory means in all their wealth, in all their splendor, in all their beauty. Satan puts a spin, if you will, on this world. When Satan presents this world to Jesus, it is without mar, it's without spot, it was without blemish, it was a pure beauty to behold. That is one of the temptations that Satan uses even in our own life. And that is, he presents to us things that look beautiful and idyllic without understanding the depth of the sin that underlies it. Uh, Sometimes what other people are doing can actually seem attractive to us because we don't know the heartache and the misery, uh, the sorrow that is plaguing that individual because of their sinfulness. We only see the outside. We only see that which glimmers. 
We only see that which looks good and everything else is hidden from us. Satan causes Jesus to look at these kingdoms apart from their sin, apart from their wretchedness, and most importantly, apart from their need of redemption. But rather, says, look at this beautiful thing, and then he speaks. He speaks. He makes an offer. And that is, Satan offers all the kingdoms of the world to Jesus. Matthew 4, verse 9. And he, that is the devil, said to him, that is Jesus, all things will I give you. All things will I give you. The offer is to rule the world. To have all these kingdoms at Jesus' disposal. Satan says, I will give them to you. Commentators like to argue about whether that offer was even possible. Did Satan have it in his power, in his control, to truly give all the kingdoms of the world to Jesus? Well, in some ways, that's one of those arguments as to how many angels can sit on the head of a pin. Uh, The point is that that's the way in which Satan represented himself to Jesus. And you see, one of the things is that we must keep in mind is that Satan is a great deceiver. Satan is referred to as the father of lies. So that when he came to Adam and Eve, Satan said, God knows that the day you will eat of that tree of the knowledge of good, you will not die. You will be as gods, knowing good from evil. He lied. He lied. And I think on this particular occasion, he lied as well. But that isn't really the main point. The main point is the way in which Jesus ultimately is going to respond to this temptation. But Satan establishes a condition. That is, verse 9, if you will fall down and worship me, if you will acknowledge me as supreme, if you will give me all the honor and glory and praise. We know that that is what Satan desires. We know from Isaiah chapter 14 that what is in the heart of Satan, or there is referred to as Lucifer, that what is the evil one's desire is to be like God. To be like God. To be in God's place. To be in God's supremacy. And have people bow down to him. And to worship and serve him. Jesus is asked to change his allegiance from the Father to Satan. Why? Well, for personal interest and gain. Because, Jesus, I will give you all the kingdoms of the world. So I ask you, why would this offer be any temptation at all for Jesus? Jesus would, in fact, have all that Satan offered him and more. 
Jesus said at the end of the book of Matthew to his disciples. All authority has been given unto me in heaven and earth. One day we will see Jesus actively reigning on this earth. All kingdoms will be manifestly given to Jesus. I can't read Revelation 11:15 without hearing Handel's Messiah in my head. But it's a great, great verse and it's a great anthem. And the angel sounded and there were great voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. Satan was not offering anything that Jesus was not already entitled to and already would have. So what indeed is the allurement? What is the temptation? As I said, the temptation was to believe that Satan could and would provide for Jesus better than the Father. How was he going to provide for Jesus in a better way than the Father answered, the kingdoms of this world would be given to Jesus without the necessity of going to the cross. Jesus, all you have to do is bow down and worship him. No suffering, no death, no agony, no betrayal. Just simply bow down and worship me and all of these things will be given to you. Now, to understand the nature of this temptation, I think, more fully, it helps us, uh, if you would turn with me in your, your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16. For it helps us to understand the temptation that Jesus was under. and also helps us to understand how this temptation is Applicable to us. In Matthew chapter 16, we have an account of Jesus revealing to his disciples the necessity of Jesus' suffering and death. Pick up with me, if you will, at Matthew 16, verse 21. From that time, Jesus Christ began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and be killed and be raised up on the third day. Now, notice with me, if you would, Peter's response to that teaching of Jesus. Peter's response is to rebuke or correct Jesus. Verse 22. And Peter took him aside, which was nice. Peter wasn't going to embarrass Jesus in front of the other disciples. But rather, he took him aside and said, well, and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, thou, this shall never happen to you. In the mind of Peter, it was unthinkable that Jesus, the Son of God, 
would ever have to go through such suffering and death. God would never, ever even allow it, let alone demand it of Jesus. That is what is in the heart and mind of Peter. But notice Jesus' harsh response. Matthew 16, 23. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. Not that Peter had actually become Satan, or not that Satan had entered into Peter, so that it is actually Satan speaking, but the point is that Peter is acting in exactly the same way that Satan acts. What Peter had just said is the kind of thing that Satan would have said. Peter's response to the announcement of Jesus' suffering and death is the same kind of response that Satan would have. Notice the problem. Verse 23. Get thee behind me, Satan. Why? You are a stumbling block to me. Peter, you are not being helpful. Peter, you are not being spiritual. Peter, you are not correcting me. You are placing a stumbling block before me. Peter, you are being a hindrance to my going to the cross. I don't need to hear from you that it is either unnecessary or out of keeping of the will of God. That is satanic kind of talk, Peter. That's wrong. It is necessary for me to die. It is necessary for me to go to the cross. What Peter's words reveal is Peter's own heart. Notice at the end of verse 23. You are a stumbling block to me for... Here's the reason. You are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's interests. You aren't concerned about the things of God. You're concerned about yourself. And you're putting yourself before the will of God. And you want me to put myself before the will of God. And that's just like Satan. Jesus says. And that is exactly this third temptation. For Jesus to put himself before the will of God. To take these kingdoms without having purchased the redemption of a lost world. It is to be selfish, self-centered, self-motivated. And that is a huge temptation. That Satan brings into all our lives in a variety of means and ways. And that is to be very self-serving. Rather than to truly serve the interests and the will of God. Even in areas that ultimately belong to us as as the children of God. The ironical thing here, of course, is that. Satan is not offering anything that Jesus isn't going to have anyway. 
But what he's offering it is a pain-free way. In a way that puts selfish interests before God's interests. At the end, I will make observations and more application. But notice what Jesus then says. Jesus teaches a lesson about the importance of self-denial in doing the will of God. After he said, you are not setting your mind on God's interest, but man's. Then he says in verse 24 of Matthew 16. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whosoever loses his life for my sake shall find it. Whatever your cross, whatever it is that God would have you to do, many times is painful. Many times it is hard. It is difficult. But God calls on us to deny ourselves, that is to deny our desires, to deny our ambitions, to deny our own personal goals, our own personal interests, in order to do what is right in the will of God. Say no to ourselves and yes to the Father. For whoever wants to preserve his life, that is, hold their life in abeyance. Not give it over to God. Whoever wants to preserve their independence... Whoever wants to live their life separate from the will of God, whoever wishes to preserve their life will lose it. But whoever loses his life, that is, is willing to offer their life in service for God, will find it. In wanting to preserve our life and our rights and prerogatives, we miss out. Notice verse 26. For what shall a man be profited... Now these words, if he gains the whole world. Notice the appropriateness of Jesus' response to Peter. Get thee behind me, Satan. Because this is what Satan offered him. The whole world. And Jesus says, what will a man be profited if he gains the whole world, but forfeits his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? What are you willing to sell your soul for? What are you willing to sell out for? What personal interest and desire are you willing to meet at the expense of serving God as he wants you to serve him? What are you willing to sell? One of the most famous quotes in modern evangelicalism comes from the missionary statement Jim Elliott. While he was still a student at Wheaton College, uh, wrote, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he, what, that which he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain which he cannot lose. 
And Jim Elliott, many of you know, died uh, being martyred in seeking to meet uh, the needs of a, an Indian tribe in Ecuador. Uh, he died. He gave his life. But he said, he's not a fool. He's not a fool. It was though he could see the end in sight. It was with eyes wide open that Jim Elliott went into this great missionary endeavor. Why? Because he was not paramount in his thinking for his own personal interests, but rather to do the will of God. I'll say more in application in a few moments. Notice Jesus' response to temptation. Jesus once again quotes scripture. He doesn't argue with Satan. He doesn't say, Satan, you can't do that, or Satan, I already possess this, or whatever the case. He doesn't argue with him. Rather, he says, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Jesus quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 13. I will not worship you. I will worship God and him alone. And then this. Jesus dismisses Satan. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan. For it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Now, there are two interesting things here. First, is that Jesus commands Satan. He says, be gone. And as a result, the devil left in verse 11. Jesus dismisses him. He has authority. He has power over the evil one. He dismisses him. Secondly, he rebukes him. For it is not just applicable to Jesus, these words, that you shall worship God and him alone. It's applicable to the evil one. He, Satan, is to worship God and God alone. The temptation, if you remember, comes as a result of the baptismal incident with John the Baptist. When, after Jesus is baptized, then the heavens are open. The Holy Spirit descends in the form of a dove. And we hear this voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Jesus, then, is tempted by the evil one. If you are the Son of God, turn these stones into bread. If you are the Son of God, cast yourself down from here. Well, the Son of God said, Satan, be gone. And he was gone. For Satan should have bowed down. And worship Jesus Christ. And he proved. He demonstrated. He manifested his authority. Over the evil one. I've had enough. Be gone. And he was gone. The outcome of the temptation. 
Satan obeyed the command of Jesus. The devil left him. Next, Jesus moves from a time of trial to a time of joy and comfort. Verse 11. And behold, angels came and began to minister to him. And then a verse that's not in our text, but in a parallel passage, Luke chapter 4, verse 13, that reads, And when the devil had finished every temptation, he departed from him until an appointed time. Two key thoughts there. Until the devil had finished every temptation. Remember. Remember that odd verse. Look at it in verse 1 of Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Matthew 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. This was the will of God. We said that Satan, that we said that Jesus learned things by, by which he suffered under these temptations. So that when that temptation time was finished, Jesus did not dismiss Satan prematurely. One might wonder why didn't Jesus just dismiss him from the very start? Because it was in the purpose and will of God. But now that time of testing was to be done. And Jesus exerted himself as truly the son of God by dismissing Satan. And then secondly, it says he departed from him until an opportune time. Thus, these are not the ends of the temptations. But they're the ends of the temptations for now. Observations and lessons. First, working backwards through the text. There are seasons of temptations that we go through. The old adage is when it rains, it pours. Jesus was in a rainy season, if you will, in his life. There were these series of temptations that he went through. And then, according to the book of Luke, Jesus departs from him for a season, for a period of time, waiting for an opportune moment. Know that if you are in a time of severe trial, that this too shall pass. Know that if you are in a period of testing, if you are in a period of, of, of great spiritual trial, know that that will come to an end. Know that you will have a reprieve. Know that there is the proverbial light at the end of the tunnel. Pray to God, deliver me from evil. And God has promised that with the temptation will provide for you a way to escape that you may be able to endure it. Know also that if everything is going splendidly in your life, if you're just sitting back and saying, I don't understand why I'm so blessed. I've got it made. And you may feel that way, and rightly so. There's not a care in the world. Just know that's not going to last forever. That's not going to be the, the end of it all. The reality is, 
We all go through peaks. We all go through valleys. We all have our ups. We all have our downs. That is the way that the evil one works. We don't have the power to dismiss Satan. Wouldn't you love to have that power? Wouldn't it be great just to say, get thee behind me, Satan, be gone, and he's gone? Well, we don't have that power. But listen to these words. James 4, 7. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. And, can you finish it? And he, he will flee from you. Not just leave you. He'll run away. Submit yourself to God. In so doing, you resist the devil. And he will flee from you. See, that's what Satan is trying to get you not to do this morning. And that is to submit to God. He is trying to get you to say no this morning to what God wants you to do. And he may be dangling some pretty tantalizing things before you. To make you question if you really are going to do what God would want you to do. Well, the word of God's promise is submit yourself to God. Say to God, I am going to follow you. I am going to be your disciple. I am going to worship you and you alone. And the devil will flee from you. Second observations. There are temptations that we encounter as we gaze upon the glories of this world. When we fail to see the world in all of its true color, we might look longingly upon what other people possess, have, and enjoy. We might even for a period of time envy the wicked. As a young person, have you ever envied Another young person that could just do what they wanted. Their parents had no standards. They had no rules, no regulations. They thought, man, that'd be great. Have you ever envied what the wicked have? We need to be careful about gazing upon the world in all of its splendor. Years ago, I was in a home visiting. And uh, this individual, they don't go to our church. But I was in a home visiting, and this in individual was heavily involved with Amway. You know what that is, that pyramid marketing program? And uh, the whole idea of Amway is to sell more and more and get ahead. And to motivate these individuals... They would have sales meetings. And do you know that Amway actually has church services? Where you can go to Amway Church, if you will, and uh, hear motivational speakers that will reinforce in your mind the importance of getting ahead and obtaining what you want. What was striking to me? Because one of the motivational tools that Amway uses is to encourage their 
salespeople, whatever they refer to them as, to post literally in their, their house pictures of things. And so this individual had in their kitchen, on their uh, refrigerator, pictures of boats and cars and houses and on the walls and everywhere you looked around. It was almost a shrine to materialism. So that the person would never lose sight of the goal. If I sell more, I can have this. If I work a little harder, maybe I can obtain that. Be careful what you set your eyes upon. Be careful what your goals are. Be careful what you want out of life. Because the evil one just might make it seem as though you can obtain it on your own. The evil one might make it look like to serve your own interest is better than to serve the interest of God and God's people. So that it becomes a way of rationalizing self-interest and selfishness. I have to do what's right for me. As opposed to doing what's right for others or what's right for God's purposes. Be careful. Be careful what you set your eyes upon. What your life's goals are. What you place in front of you. And, and I mean that very, very literally, very sincerely. Um, down to what you post on your walls. I am one that likes placards. I like verses on the wall. I like, for, for me, as, far, as far as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And that's a good thing to keep before you. To have somewhere to remind you of what it's all about. What life is all about. Listen to the words of the Apostle Paul. Why he doesn't give up. Why he doesn't yield to temptation. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 6. Therefore, we do not lose heart. He's talking about how tough the ministry is. He just went through talking about all the difficulties he faced. So why does he go on? Therefore, we do not lose heart. But though our outward man is decaying, though on the outside we're showing the marks of the hardship, the difficulty, Paul had been beaten. Paul had uh, been beaten by rods. He'd been whipped by uh, flagellants. And yet, he says, the outward man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For, listen to these words, momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory. Remember? Satan shows the kingdoms in all their glory. 
in all their splendor. Paul says, this is temporary. This is eternal. This is light. This is heavy. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. There was no comparison to what Jesus was offered by Satan and what he would receive by being faithful to the Father. The kingdoms unredeemed without bringing glory to God and himself were nothing compared to these redeemed kingdoms that would bring honor and glory to the praise of God and to the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 4.17 For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. Focus. Outlook. Paul says, I can maintain this when I don't focus over here on the afflictions and the hardships and the difficulty. When I focus on the glory that is to come, I endure. Satan tried to get Jesus to focus in the moment on what he saw. But Jesus focused on the eternity. And what would be the outcome? We are to have the mind of Jesus. Again, thank you for that ministry of music. We want to be like Jesus. Book of Philippians says, let this mind, let this attitude be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. Who being the form of God, the Son of God. Thought it not equal, thought it not, uh, who being the form of God, thought not robbery to be equal with God, meaning something to hold on to at all costs. But took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient, even unto death. Wherefore, God has also given him a name, which is above every name. The name of Jesus, every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Because of his obedience, even to the point of death, he receives this eternal weight of glory. The kingdoms are his. I say to you this morning, there is a great temptation to put our personal interests before God's interests. To be selfish and ambitious. Rather than to be humble and to be a servant. There is the dreadful tendency to try to shortcut our way to God's blessedness. To take an easy way out. Satan has those allurements for us in every area. 
sexually. Don't wait till you're married to have sex. Have sex now. Look at how great it would be. Don't get married. Live together. Enjoy this person's company and all that they have to offer. You can have it better than God's plan. You can have it better than God's way. You can have your personal interests met. Forget testimony. Forget the glory of God. Forget what it means to others. Think about yourself and what is going to make you happy and what is going to fulfill you and what is going to satisfy you. And forget everything else. That temptation is there financially. That temptation is there in every facet of life. And we have to be aware. The temptation. Not to put in the hard work. Not to put in the sacrifice, the hours. A lot of people are in debt today. Astronomically in debt. Because they see something that they want to have, and they want to have it now, without the hard work, without the saving, without the perseverance. And say, I'm going to be happy when I get this, only to find out that they've got to pay it back. And that gets to be pretty miserable. Don't shortchange the will of God. Satan would have us to look at this world in all of its splendor. Colossians says, set your mind on things which are above. Constantly remind yourself. You see, we would say to ourselves, how could Jesus be tempted? Knowing that he's going to have this incredible kingdom. Knowing that what his future is. How could that be a temptation knowing what God has in store? Paul prays in Ephesians chapter 1. I pray that the eyes of your understanding may be enlightened. That you may know what is the hope of his calling. Number two, what are the riches of his glory of the inheritance in the saints? The story of Jacob and Esau. How Esau sold his birthright. How Esau exchanged that which is of great, greater value just for some porridge. How foolish. How foolish it is for us to exchange the glory that will come to us for something so momentary and rudimentary as the things of this world in their splendor. What will man give in exchange for his soul? Many, many people are selling out for a lot less than the whole world. Let's pray. Oh Lord, guard us, guard our thoughts, guard our ambitions, guard our desires. For Lord, it's so easy for us to set our eyes upon the things of this world. 
to think that we are going to be so happy when we get this material thing or we're going to be so happy when we get this particular situation or experience in our life. That we get to the place where we're willing to do almost anything to achieve it. Even to the place of not putting you first place in our lives. Even to the place of serving ourselves rather than to serve others and to serve you. Oh Lord, bring us up short. Help us to see the selfishness of our ambitions so often. How what we want is for us and not you. Lord, Help us not to deceive ourselves into thinking that this is really about you and it's really about us. Even as Peter, who thought that he was giving wise advice and counsel to Jesus. And Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan. Oh, Lord, open our own hearts and minds to even see ourselves. How we can deceive ourselves into thinking. In this particular instance, it's okay. In this particular instance, it's right. It might even be what we think is going to ultimately serve you. Oh, Lord, help us to see the truth in our own hearts. Reveal to us our own iniquity. Lord, help us to love you. And ultimately, may we say that what we want is to worship and to serve you. And you alone. Deliver us from the evil of doing anything else. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.